We are in a one-week special message called Nightmare on My Street, having a little bit of fun with Halloween here. So let's pray, and we'll open up God's Word together. Jesus, thank you for a morning like this, where the scattered church comes together to worship you. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray, how to read your word, how to hear from you? Would you call us, the church, out of darkness and into your wonderful light? May we claim our calling as a chosen people. May we be the holy priesthood that you always wanted us to be. God, I pray for any and every soul in this room, whether they are near you or far from you, would you touch their hearts this morning? Do the hardest work of anyone in here, God, and reach us all. Get me out of the way. Get your word propped up. Get your Holy Spirit in this room so that we might experience the power of who you are, Christ. We ask for nothing less than that. And together the church says, Amen. We all have a favorite scripture verse. It tends to be seasonal. Are you with me? There's a way that God speaks to us, is there not? That he gives us a verse like right when we need it. In a season when things might be dry and you might not be hearing from God. All of a sudden, he brings a verse to mind. Whether it's something you are finding in, in your own devotional time with the Lord and maybe in the morning when you're having coffee with Christ or whatever. Maybe it's something you saw on Facebook. Maybe it's something uh, a different way. Maybe someone told you this verse. It's interesting how God always meets us where we're at. And whether it's a scripture verse for you personally or for the church corporately, it could be either. I'm going to share with you a verse that I think the church needs to hear now more than ever. And typically this is where the communicator would try to give you some really funny story to hook your attention and get you laughing. And I'll be honest, I can't think of any funny story at all today. But what I do want to do is get God's word in front of us and let that outshine anything else. And so this is one of my favorite passages, and I want to share it with you. This is 1 Peter 2.9. It says this. This is the word of God. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Isn't that such a great verse? That is scripture ear candy, man. I love it. There's a couple reasons I love it so much. One's kind of a nerdy reason, kind of a technical reason. If you've never, ever been to church, you're like, this is my first time ever even being to church. I don't even know what you're talking about, Luke. It's totally cool. So right now, Peter, the author of this book of the Bible, writing this letter to Gentiles, who's just anyone that's not a Jewish person, anyone that's not of Jewish heritage, which is likely you know, me and likely you. But he's writing to the church. But he's using Old Testament language. But the book is in the New Testament. It's a little cool interpretation feature of the Bible, the New Testament's use of Old Testament language. And so here, Peter is saying, God has called Israel, God's holy nation, his chosen people, the Hebrew nation, he's called them out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And Peter's like, hey, the same way that God called them the Israel nation, the Hebrews, the Jews, the same way God called them out of darkness and into light, he's also called you and me, the church, now out of darkness and into wonderful light. Isn't that cool? You know what that says about God? It means that his character does not change. 
It means that his opinion on the matter of humans being called out of darkness and into his perfect and wonderful light doesn't change. It doesn't change with different epochs. It doesn't change with different time periods in history. No, God is calling all of his creation out of darkness and into wonderful light. And that's what Peter was reminding everybody in this letter. And it's so nice to hear. And it's so much more difficult to live. I don't know about you, church. I don't always feel like I'm walking in wonderful light. I don't always claim my calling of being a chosen person, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Does everyone walk around and be like, hey, what's up? I'm Luke. I'm a chosen person, holy priesthood. Yep, God set me apart. How you doing? That's not how we introduce ourselves. So much more often, I feel like the church hides in darkness. I feel like Israel's story is our story. We keep giving ourselves to idols and we devote ourselves to someone or something besides God. And so that's why it's so important that we review and, and speak and cherish these, these pieces of Scripture where God is calling us out of darkness. I don't know about you, but there's been pockets of my life where I've been in darkness, not in His wonderful light. And more than ever recently, the people I've been interacting with, man, they're hiding. They're hiding in darkness. And yet, freedom is all theirs for the taking. It's like this victorious limp. It's like this optional limp where Christians, we can run in freedom, but we choose to limp in the shadows. We choose to be in the shadow, hiding in the darkness, and somehow we prefer the familiarity, even though it's not comfortable, we prefer the familiarity of the darkness. And I'm here this morning to tell you one thing, that that darkness is optional. That darkness is completely and entirely optional. And it is ours to walk out of, and God is calling the church now to walk out of darkness, walk out of hiding, and run in the freedom of his wonderful light. Man, I don't know about you, but there's, God is doing something in the church recently. I, I have had a lot of interactions, even this past two weeks, with people who have just disclosed all of these shadows in their life. I got a text two weeks ago from a friend who, of all things, chose to use a text to describe this, but he texted me, and it was a very long text, so I had to wait till later when I had 20 minutes to actually read it. He detailed a confession that he had made to his spouse about a sexual issue that he had not been honest with her about for over six years. I remember my heart just breaking for my friend. My heart just broke for their marriage as it damaged their marriage that day, no doubt. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, what if everyone had the courage that my friend just had and disclosed the hiding places in their life? Can you imagine what the church could be capable of if we all walked in the wonderful freedom that Christ offers and claimed this calling on our life as a chosen person, as a holy priesthood, as a holy nation. I don't understand why we do it. I know that there's people in this room right now who are hiding in darkness, and I know there's people in this room right now that prefer the shadows, and I know there's people in this room right now that would much prefer to play hide-and-seek with God. Because there's something comfortable about the familiarity of darkness. It's, it's so scary to disclose the shadows in your life. 
But if there's anything I want to press into this morning, is that the Holy Spirit is calling the church out of that darkness so that we might be the chosen nation to declare the praises of God to this city and to this state so that all can walk in freedom. And God has chosen the church to do that, to put Christ's name up on display. I aim to answer one specific question this morning, church. Nothing but this. Why don't people come out of darkness? Why do we hide from God? Why do you and I hide from God? Whether it's in pockets of life, whether it's currently in life, why don't people come out of darkness? What's the reason? What's really going on in our hearts where we would prefer the shadows instead of the light? Nowhere in the Bible is this, is this question more clearly answered than in the book of Genesis, in Adam and Eve's story. So if you're brand new to, to, the, to the faith or to the church or to Jesus or whatever, you're like, who are Adam and Eve? It's totally cool. Adam and Eve are the first two people God made. And their story is in the opening chapters of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. So we're going to examine their story, and we're going to see why it is that people hide from God, why people prefer the shadows. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would touch anyone's heart in here who's like, yep, I wish I hadn't come to church this morning because I don't want to hear this. Speak to them. Draw that out of them. We trust you at this time. Amen. This is the word of God starting in Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst or the middle of the garden, rather. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, message received. Not going to touch that tree. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? He said. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and then I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent, the serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam and Eve took the bait. They accepted this narrative that the enemy had introduced into their minds. That they weren't going to die. Come on, don't you want the power God has? 
Don't you want the knowledge that, that God has? You're not going to die. You're, you're going to be fine. Eat it. And in so doing, they committed cosmic treason. They introduced the sin disease that you and I now carry today. The disease that can only be rectified by the blood of Christ Jesus. And you and I carry that disease. And it's terrible because the way that the enemy interacts with Adam and Eve, he will do anything and everything for them to doubt the goodness and voice of God in their life. And so what does the enemy do? He spins it. He spins the narrative. Makes it look good. Makes it sound good. Gives them a voice that they cannot reject. The enemy does this to you and to me. The enemy will give us any narrative he can for us to hear anyone else's voice but God's. And what the enemy has done with the church in the last several hundred years is introduce a lie. Introduce a lie that you and I have bought. A lie, a narrative that you and I have accepted. And it goes something like this. Sin separates us from God. This is the enemy speaking to us. Sin separates you from God because God is mad at you, disgusted with your sin, and scared off by what you did. That is the lie the enemy has introduced to the church. Now before you call me a heretic, to be sure, our sin separates us from God, but not because God runs away when we sin. No, when we sin, we run away from God. There's a really, really big difference between the two. One is shame. One is guilt. One is running from God because God is mad at me, Luke. He doesn't want any part of me. He, has, he sees what I do. He sees what I think. And he's out of there because he can't handle it. He can't handle my sin. And that's exactly what the enemy wanted you to believe. But we see clearly in Scripture the complete and total opposite narrative. Look at the exchange between God and Adam. God says this. Where are you? Adam says this, I heard the sound of you. Adam says this, I was afraid. And Adam says, I was naked, so I hid. So why do we hide from God? Why do people prefer the shadows? Why do people hide from God, hide from each other, and limp around in partial freedom? Because people hide because they are afraid and exposed. They hide from God because they have been exposed. They hide from people because we don't want to be exposed. We hide from God because we've been exposed. We hide from each other because we don't want to be exposed. Because we are vulnerable and we've bought the lie that God is disgusted with us. And that he's mad at us. And that we scare him away when we don't conform to his complete and total goodness and character and likeness. And then God, this is the best part, church. And then God asks the most profound question he's ever asked in God's word. Listen to this question that he asks. God responds after Adam says, I hid. God says, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Whose voice are you listening to? It wasn't mine. Whose voice are you listening to? Doesn't sound like it was my voice. God says, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
Adam then goes, it was the woman, right? He starts to blame shift. This is so classic, guys. Like, it's her fault. Obviously, God, it wasn't me. It was the woman that you gave me. Classic male chauvinism, right? Just like, just blame her, not me, right? So Adam doesn't take any of, he doesn't own it at all. He doesn't own it at all. He blames Eve. And then God says to Eve, what's this that you've done? And then Eve leads in this incredible example of humility and confession and walking out of hiding and walking out of the shadows. And what's Eve say? She goes, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam knew better. He didn't say anything, but I, I got deceived. It's amazing, church. Look at this narrative. It's remarkable. In life's game of hide and seek with God, God wins every time. In life's game of hide and seek with God, God will win every single time. I don't know how you play hide and seek. My daughter's only 11 months old, so all she does is peekaboo. But I still play hide and seek with my Australian shepherd, and guess what? She will find me in the house every single time because she knows my scent. She knows where to look. Guess what? God knows where you hide. He knows your strategy of the shadows. He knows where you're going to go to get away from him. And guess what? You're going to hear the sound of him walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he's going to track you down. So just know, getting into it, that if you try to play hide and seek with God, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. I mean, look at this through God's perspective. He is completely and totally unwilling to have only 99% of your heart. He wants and has the right to 100% of your heart. Consider this analogy. Look at this dollhouse. This dollhouse is a uh, collector's item of mine. You'll see it here in a second. Uh, I'm just kidding. I found it on Google. Uh, It's actually not mine at all. That would be weird. But this dollhouse, I want you to look at it for a moment. You'll see the bottom right. You'll see the kitchen, and it's got some fruit on the table. And then you've got, you know, the entryway all lit up with the stairs and the living room with some toys in it. You move upstairs, and you'll see the life and the, the fun of the bedroom. You've got some other toys and then maybe a bed. And then finally off to the left, you've got like maybe like a, a bathroom or whatever. And it's full of light and peace and, and hope. And it looks like... There's just an overall shalom, that Hebrew word for peace that means universal wholeness and goodness that God gives humanity that we can accept. And it's all there. It's all, it's all good. And then you move north. And you find that square window on the eave, closest to the peak. And you see a darkened attic. And in that attic, there's not a lot going on. It's dark. There's no light. There's no light making the attic uh, illuminated. And each one of our hearts is a dollhouse just like this that we've given God access to nine out of the ten rooms. And that each one of us have a dark room in our heart that we yet have given, have given God access to. Mine's my basement. If you know me or if you've ever been to my house and you go to my basement, you'll be like, wow, that's a lot of dog here, Luke. And it's true because if my dogs aren't outside, they're in the basement sleeping or eating and there's dog hair everywhere and it's dusty and I can't keep my tool bench clean for the life of me. It's terrible. If somebody comes over, I make sure that I clean out my basement first because I'm embarrassed about my basement. 
You probably have like a, a study or a guest bedroom or a closet or a basement or a storage room. Heck, it might be your living room. You're just like, I don't want anybody to see that. My goodness, that's the last spot in my house I'd want anybody to be entertained in. Well, guess what? Our heart is a home for Christ, just like our house is a home for us. And he wants access to every single one of those rooms. Which room in your house are you not giving God access to? Which room? What's inside of it? What's inside the room you won't give God access to? Take stock for a moment. There is a man in here who is hiding in that room. He's hiding behind a job title, financial income. He's hiding from his kids because he doesn't feel like he's got what it takes to be a dad. And so he hides behind video games. He hides behind pornography online. He'll hide behind anything he can to not step into all that God has called him to do. There is a woman in here who's hiding. She's hiding behind makeup. She's hiding behind a relationship. She's hiding behind a boyfriend. She's single and she's hiding because she wants to find love again. So she looks for it in the wrong places and she's hiding in the shadows. There's a student in here who's hiding circumstantially, contextually at school because of social relationships and the pressure that comes from being a teenager and you're hiding. There's a family in here who's hiding because there's things in your life you don't want anyone to know about, especially God. And so what do you do? You give God, I give God access to every room but one. Don't go in there, God. It's a nightmare. It's a total and complete nightmare. Don't do it. You can have the access to the rest of the house. Please, please, not that one. Church, I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter what's in that room. It doesn't matter what's in that room. God does not want access to that room to shame you. He wants access to that room to free you so that you might step into completely and totally the identity of a chosen person, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a calling that you and I have yet to fully claim. Claim it. It's ours for the taking. God's called us to be a part of the movement that he's introduced into the world to rope all nations back to himself, and you and I have a part to play in that calling. And it's up to you and me to step into it. It doesn't matter what's in that room. Let them in. It doesn't matter what's in that room. I don't care how, how corrupt or how disgusting you think it is. Let God in. And you're like, Luke, you have no idea. You can talk and talk and talk all you want, Luke. You've got no idea the nightmare that's in that room you're talking about. Romans 8 has something to say about that. Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future or of any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to, it won't be able to, it won't be able to separate us from the love that is of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I don't care what you think it is or how bad it is or how disgusting it is. It cannot, it will not, it won't separate you from Christ's love. Who came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden? God did. Who hid from him? Adam and Eve did. 
He comes looking. We go hiding. Hiding is optional. Church, give God access to that final room. I had a student about two weeks ago at a student retreat, our fall retreat. We go down to, to the uh, Seymour, Indiana. We have a great fall retreat getaway. I just got done teaching about prayer. And some student slipped this note into my hand. I don't know who it was. I wish I did. I saw this person in my peripheral. I just don't know. There was a crowd of a lot of students. There was a lot of fun. There was a lot going on. And somebody slipped this note into my hand. I do not know the identity of this person, but this is what the note read. Why would God want someone like me? I've done things that I'm sure disgust God. He shouldn't care for me, let alone love me. What can I do to get his love back? I want to tell that kid you never lost God's love. It wasn't conditional. God's love for you is not proportional to your actions or choices. God's love is steady and secure, and we are all over the map. And that's what makes God's love so incredible. So, church, take it. Take the calling that comes from Christ. Take your chosen status our royal status. We are the royal priesthood. We have been called to call all other people out of darkness and into his victorious and wonderful light. Don't limp any longer. Your nightmare that you're living is optional. Walk out of that shadow. In closing, as the band comes back up and we worship together and we respond, I want to speak to the Christian in the room right now. The Christian who's been walking in faith for some time. The Christian who loves Jesus, wants to live on mission, wants to disciple others, but has only given God 99% access. I want to challenge you that by confession, give God that final room. Whatever's in that room is not too big for him to handle. Give him access to that final room. And for the person who does not know Jesus, for the person who isn't here right now thinking, gosh, get me out of here to lunch, please. I want to talk to you for a moment because you are not here on accident. There is no coincidences in the kingdom of God. You are here for purpose. And I want to give you the option, the opportunity right now to hand over the keys to Christ. That He might not just have access to a room of your heart, but you'd make him the landlord of your heart. Give him the keys. Give him access to every single room. Hell is too hot. Eternity is too long. Place your trust in Christ. Don't wait a second longer. And you've got that opportunity to do that today. Right now, I want everyone to close their eyes. If you are a Christian and you've been walking with Christ for some time, you can say this prayer silently after me. God, I'm a Christian. I've been walking with you, but I've not given you access to one room. In great love and affection and confession, I give you the access to my final room. Shine your light into it. Let me walk fully in freedom. I reclaim my chosen status, my royal priesthood calling. Now for the one who is not following Jesus, a heart who's far from God, who has never committed their life to Christ, you can say this prayer silently after me. God, I don't know you that well, but I want to. It sounds like you've given your life so that I might know you. I give you the keys 
to my heart's home so that my heart might be your permanent dwelling place. God, here are the keys. I transfer the trust in myself to trust in you. And I ask that you would do what I cannot and govern over my heart. We love you so much and we love you so dearly, Christ. And we thank you for your words. And we say this together in your name, Christ. Amen.